It's the first Monday of the month and time for our monthly Q&A show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 283. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And once a month, we open up the show to your questions, and Bonnie and I attempt to uh, provide as much perspective, resources, thoughts on the questions as we can. You can submit your question by going to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback for future Q&A shows. And back with me, as always, is Bonnie Stahoviak, same last name as mine. And I'm emphasizing that, Bonnie, because I did talk to <laughs> one of our um, uh, one of our applicants for the Academy recently, who just started listening to the show in the last couple of months. And she, uh, she was so kind. She said, uh, that Bonnie you have on, that uh, she just really seems nice and you guys just have good chemistry. And it became apparent in the conversation that she did not realize we were married. And then I thought, I don't think we've made mention of that on the show in some time. And so if people didn't catch the last name, they may not realize that we're married. And so I just wanted to point out that we are married. And so that's... The charisma is real, baby. Wow. It's real. Great this, charisma. This right here is not... No one could fake this. <laughs> no one could make this up. I wanted to say something. I was so excited that you got to interview Dan Ariely. Yeah. What a, fun, I have admired it? his work for so long. And I was so proud at the end because you mentioned, oh, next week's going to be the Q&A show with Bonnie. And I thought, wow, I got mentioned on the same episode as Dan Ariely. That is the kind of thing that, uh, you know, is one of those things we can tell our grandkids about someday. Mm -hmm. They could even listen. Yeah, they (laughs) They could. That's the beauty of it. They'll be like, what are podcasts? (laughs) What is that technology you guys were doing? So uh, we got lots of questions here, Bonnie. So let's uh, jump right in. This first question is from Dustin. Dustin says, like many of my fellow federal government employees, I lack imagination when it comes to creating a meaningful vision given the fairly fixed and narrow mission of my agency. Do you have any resources for mentally distinguishing between mission and vision? Also, is there a resource for what a good vision statement contains? Well, Dustin, thank you for the question. And I don't uh, think you lack any more imagination than the rest of us. I think this is something that's a challenge for a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations. And and I think um, also I'll say with that, a lot of organizations think they have this figured out and they think they have a good mission statement, but they don't necessarily have something that's ideal. So first, the distinction between mission and vision that you asked about. Uh, a lot of folks use the term mission or purpose synonymously. I, I think about them as the same word. Some people have an issue with the word mission because it has potentially a religious connotation to it. So I just tend to like the word purpose, but they're essentially the same thing. Mission or purpose is what is your organization here to do? What are we here to do today? The why behind what the organization is doing in the world. The vision to me is where you're going. So the mission purpose is the today, the vision is the future. And when I think about either of these concepts and particularly around mission or purpose, um, I think the, the more the more simple you can keep this, the better. And one of my very favorite resources on this is a video that Dan Heath did 
probably four or five years ago now. It was put out through Fast Company. And the title of the video was How to Write a Mission Statement That Doesn't Suck. And it is a really great four-minute lesson on writing a mission statement or a purpose statement for your organization. And I'll put a link to it in the Weekly Leadership Guide for those of you who get it in here on the show notes. But the lessons that he says from that video is... A mission statement should be first and foremost very plain and concrete as far as the language. So um, you want to you want to use everyday language that's really easy for people to understand exactly what it is you mean and exactly what your organization is doing. And you also want to tap into the why behind it. Simon Sinek, when he was on the show, talked about start with why. A very popular leadership book out there that he's really created a movement around the importance of us as leaders and organizations asking the why behind what we do. And I think that's something that you absolutely have to answer in the mission or the purpose. So keeping it very simple, very concrete, and then answering the why. And then I think the other thing that comes to mind too for this, Dustin, is I'd be careful about having anything that's too long to the extent that people can't pretty easily recall it who are associated with the organization. And I say that because I worked for an organization early in my career where there was, and I don't even remember now if it was the mission statement or the vision statement, but it was long enough that there was an entire exercise in the onboarding process when you came to work for that company that you had to memorize the mission statement. I think it was a mission statement. You had to memorize the mission statement and it was like a paragraph long. And, and there was there was some regular check-in to make sure that you had the mission statement memorized. And I think that really, for me, at least it kind of, you're, you're taking the focus off the, the purpose of the purpose statement and putting, you know, when you start to do something that's rote and that you have to like do exercises to get people to remember what the mission statement is. I think it's just a sign that your mission statement's too complex and it doesn't really reflect the everyday language that people are going to use to describe what your organization does. Um, And I think if you're looking for ideas of what that is, start asking the people your organization serves, ask your customers, ask the people around the organization of what is this organization here to do? And I think you'll start to hear the words that will become part of that mission statement. One of the things you didn't mention, Dustin, is whether you are attempting to do this for yourself or for the agency. I would presume you mean the agency, but if you have not done this for yourself, I would say that's a great place to start. And having one for yourself that you can regularly see how does what I do matter? Am I fulfilling my sense of purpose? Am I am I able to have one unifying theme that all of my work supports. And one of the key distinctions between a mission and a vision is that a vision is more future oriented. Peter Senge talks about this almost like a rubber band where you're never going to have the rubber band not have some tension in it between your vision, where you aspire to be and where you are now and that we have failed if there ever is non-existent tension in that rubber band. So that would be, um, I'd start with yourself I know that when I get very centered with a sense of mission and vision, I'm then able to translate better into having the kinds of conversations with the people that I lead that can lead to a more authentic sense of mission and vision. And I couldn't tell from the way that you phrased this question, I would sure hope that it will be a shared mission and vision. And that means going through it together. But you wouldn't want to lead a team through this if you haven't done the hard work of reflection, 
for yourself first. Uh, it's, it's difficult, especially if people so many times in our organizations, people have done it bad in the past. So then when we try to introduce these conversations to the employees that we lead, they go, Oh my gosh, we're going to do that again. Seriously, seriously again with the mission and the vision. So if you've done it with yourself and you've shared that with people and you tell the stories of that for yourself and your own deep work that you're doing, that's a more compelling way to get people excited about having those conversations to how we might do this together as a group. And Dave did mention working with stakeholders. I just wanted to bring up real quick that one of the first things that came to mind as I read your question is instead of saying, why does what you do matter? Which of course, that's a question you've got to answer, but also answering how does what you do matter? And by that, I mean having stories that just really tell the compelling ways in which your work matters. And it can be so difficult. You didn't mention the type of agency. And of course, I completely understand why you wouldn't, but it can be hard to do that. And I love that story. And I'm going to totally get it wrong. But Dave will help me along the way of <laughs> just two different bricklayers. And there's one bricklayer who lays bricks for a living. And the second brick layer makes cathedrals or something like that. Did I get it right? Or? It sounded really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it, it fits in with the shared vision of audio I put out a few weeks ago on stained glass and cathedrals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's that all second brick layer is helping people get closer to God. And this and is the chemistry people, people tune in for right here. This is it. This is it. But I mean, just that sense of because laying bricks does not sound exciting to me. And that might mean that I don't need to go into laying bricks, but it also might mean that all of us, when led by good leaders, can have a sense that what we do matters. And speaking of government agencies, I will attempt here to not get overly political, but as we record this, we have had a a government agency, National Parks, who are taking a stand and really showing their values in some unique and compelling ways that I think they wouldn't have necessarily done that if these weren't people that had such a sense of mission and vision that it was worth, you know, taking the risk. And again, I'm telling this and who knows what's going to happen in the news cycle between now and whenever this airs. But I do enjoy hearing stories of people that what they do matters enough to them to take risks in terms of fulfilling their own mission. I'm really glad you mentioned shared vision too, because I've had a few people email me about that audio that I posted and uh, it did come down off the podcast feed, but it's coming back as a member cast in the next couple of weeks. So be watching for that for those of you who have emailed me about that. So more, uh, more on that coming. So thank you, Dustin, for the question. Let's uh, move on to our next question here. And that is from Andrew. Andrew uh, wrote in, and he actually uh, wrote in this question in response to the uh, episode we had recently, Bonnie, uh, with Tom Henschel and myself on networking. And he said, uh, he, he actually emailed this to Tom and me. He said, given how large I'm imagining your networks probably are, how do you manage to remember the right connection at the right time? At this point in my career, my network is what I think is small and segmented into specific categories. So it's not that hard for the right memory of the right person to trigger in my brain at the right time. And he's wondering, have you ever had a problem remembering the right person when you need to? That is the people you'd want to remember that you consider to be in your network. Uh, Bonnie, I have a few thoughts on this, but I'll let you start off on on how you handle this in your network. 
One of the things I want to say first is just how much I loved that episode on networking between Tom and you, Dave. I sent it to one of my students who is an aspiring networker, I would say. And it cracked me up because I got a text message from another student saying, I loved your husband's podcast about networking. Of course, I didn't send it to her and I could trace it. It was a funny networking story just because in that particular case, I knew there was only one way that at least it could have originated to eventually find her way. And I know that the gal had sent it to a number See, of other students See, he learned the too. lesson of networking and reaching out. Very I nice. know, Very I know. Nice. But I've, I, what I loved about it was just that this idea of that we can use our strengths within our networking approaches. I have a couple of pieces of advice, but I would also tell you that thinking about your own strengths and not thinking that there's some right way to do networking and some way we have to follow somebody else's process exactly, which is not what you said, but I mean, just that really resonated with me when I was listening to Tom and Dave just just talk about the various ways. And it was funny because at some point I thought, oh, well, that's oh, that's not really networking. And then I realized, no, that, that actually is that Dave is able to network with his podcast, but it took even me a minute to quite connect with how they were really able to express how Dave uses his strength. So a couple of things here. One is that you ideally would have some sort of centralized place for tracking contacts. And for me, there's, I was, (laughs) for me, I don't do that, but you should do that. (laughs) You have a central, you mean use your contacts app, right? So I have, I have really two ways that I might track communications related to networking. If, if it's something where I've committed, I have a podcast like Dave does. And so if I've committed to someone, oh, they can't come on the show right now, but they'd like to come back in six months. I'm so excited, by the way, I have a New York Times bestseller who said she'd come on, but she's going to come on when her book goes from hardcover to paperback. So she says, get in touch with me in August and then we can book. Oh, yeah, man, I was so excited because I read her book and I loved it. Well, that goes into my task management system. And I, I use one called OmniFocus, but they all do this where you can have something with a due date and the good ones can not show it to you until you get closer to that due date. So in this case, OmniFocus calls this deferring, but other task managers call it something else. But basically I want to put it in a system, but I'd prefer not to see it until closer to the due date when I committed to getting back with her. So that's what I do with hard and fast commitments that I have made that I definitely don't want to lose track of. I use LinkedIn as a primary means for broader networking. And that does have a mini communication tool built into it. So I could go up there and see the last time that I was in touch with someone and there. I can put notes in there if I've made calls to them. But I would say that that method I use a lot less And that that doesn't really leverage my strengths as a networker, but I did just want to mention that that's there. The idea here is in what David Allen's getting things done methodology of task management. The idea here is to just make sure that we're capturing things. As somebody comes to mind, we can capture it. We can get it into our trusted system and make sure that we follow up if we've committed to someone to follow up, or even if we're just thinking of them because we think that would be helpful. 
One of the techniques that I use that I think leverages my strengths well is my networking tends to be more event-based. And that was one that Dave and Tom didn't mention as one of their strengths necessarily. But even if it's something where, as you might remember, Dave and I have young kids and we're just not able to network like we used to. I mean, Dave and I would used to go to more association meetings than we do now and There were more times where you go out in an evening, oh, see you tomorrow. It it just wasn't as complicated as it is now to do what we used to do with our networking. So even if we're just talking about having people over to our home, I tend to really think about who either already knows each other, but maybe hasn't seen each other in a while, or who might have a connection with each other and not realize it and would really, really be great people to connect with each other. And sometimes I know I irritate Dave a little bit. He's very gentle with me when I irritate him because I'm going, no, no, no. I don't want to invite that person yet because I don't think that they would, that just doesn't fit with what I was thinking with all these connections. And I realized as I was listening to their episode that I really do a lot of thinking about those. I It almost gets mapped out in my mind of who could really talk to who else and then how those connectors could bring people in. And anyway, that's one of the things I do, not just socially, but also I'm a college professor. So if I've got at the the end of this semester, my students are going to be doing a poster session thing where there'll be about 45 students that have some visual displays of their work and their research this semester, and we'll be inviting in business professionals. So that's really a time where I'll go through my contacts And sometimes I'll go through LinkedIn. It'll just depend. But sometimes LinkedIn is too broad for me because it's people I don't know, but I know them through Dave and it's his podcast connection and I just hit accept. (laughs) But, But I'll go through and think, you know, who would be someone I have not connected with professionally in a while that enjoys mentoring but can't make, you know, huge mentoring connections, but would just love to come talk to college students and give them a little bit of wisdom and would get a kick out of some of the creative things that they'll end up doing for this event. So a lot of my networking tends to be thinking about events and ways of connecting people. And that, by the way, takes a little bit of pressure off of me for not feeling particularly good at networking sometimes where, gosh, I, cause I really don't enjoy surface talk. I, I connect with people much more on a deep level and that's sometimes hard to do at more of your traditional events that are more networking oriented. And you just think, Oh gosh, I don't know if this is going to be authentic. I don't know if it's going to be deep or have meaning to it. And when I think more about connecting people with each other, it's not about me, it's about them. And it's also how wonderful to see relationships and connections get formed and help people find things they have in common. I love so much what you said, and you you really are good at that as far as thinking about events or when we have people over the house. And I was thinking as you were saying that, that I mean, you're involved in a few organizations tangentially. I don't think I'm a member of any association right now in any way. I mean, I don't go to meetings, and which may be surprising to people, but it's just not the right time in our life to be involved in that. So all that to say is you don't have to do that. If that's not your thing, there's a lot of other ways you can network. Um, so one of the other things I was thinking about, Andrew, in context of this and thinking about your email to me is um, I actually have been thinking a lot about one of the things you said on a past Q&A show, Bonnie, about uh, your colleague who just whenever he thinks about someone, he just thinks to call mm-hmm. them. And what I'm doing now is I'll be sometimes driving down the freeway. And it, it's sometimes not the right time to call someone when you're on the freeway. And I, I don't know, it's just for me, that seems awkward. But um, I will think about someone. And now I've started to discipline myself to I'll, I'll, um, I've got an Apple watch. So I'll lift up my watch and I'll dictate into my watch. I'll say, you know, remind me to 
call this person, and then it syncs right over to my task management system. And um, other than the side effect of, I'm sure there are some drivers in Southern California that have seen me do this and think I'm a doofus, like talking to my wrist going down the freeway. Um, it actually works really well to remind me because a lot of times I think about when I think about contacting someone, it's not the time. It's not the right time for whatever reason to actually reach out to that person, but I want to remember that I thought about that person. And so that's actually worked out really well for me. The other thing that um, I've been experimenting with, and I actually need to talk to you about this, Bonnie, because I, I need some help building an Excel spreadsheet, I think. Um, I started to use, we had Zvi Band on the show last year. He's the CEO of Contactually, which is a really cool CRM, uh, web-based CRM system that um, that you can use. And one of the and it links up with your email account and it links up with LinkedIn and lots of other things. But one of the really cool things about their system is that you can set up a system of what what they call buckets where you have um, you can have a bucket for people you want to stay in close contact with. And so it reminds you if you haven't talked to someone in however long time, however long you define that. So I think for me, I had set for like, I want to talk to this person every 20 days or so because they're an important person and someone else that may be Am um, I in that bucket every 20 days or so? You, you don't, you're in just, you just have your own bucket. The Bonnie bucket. <laughs> the Bonnie bucket. It's like the Bonnie button on the website. It's a Bonnie bucket. Um, uh, so you, but I did, you know who I did have in there? I had my parents in there mm. because um, life, like life with small children is like, it can be a month and I go by and all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to my parents in a month. And so I actually put them in the bucket, not for professional networking reasons, but like, I just wanted it to remind me like, oh, it's been 20 days since you talked to your parents. And so I would hit the little button and, um, and long story short, I didn't end up using contactually for a random technical issue that is not relevant to anyone else. And I won't bore people with, but, um, but he will tell me about it later. I'll tell you about it later, Bonnie. And so I recommend it. I think it's a great service if you're looking for that. But what I'm probably going to do in the coming weeks is put together a spreadsheet where, um, you know, there's the 40 or 50 people that are most important in my network that I want to stay in touch with regularly. And then I've got a system for, okay, these people are the people I want to reach every two weeks. These are the people I want to reach every couple months. These are the people I want to make sure I talk to at least once a year in some meaningful way. And then I keep track of that. So um, John Corcoran has been on the show, Bonnie does this. And often at the beginning, there will have a list of, you know, 50 people or so or 100 people. This is, you know, this year, these are the people I want to just make sure I stay in touch with. And um, I think if you've got some kind of system like that, Andrew, it doesn't have to be a software system or a CRM. You could just do that on paper and just, you know, once a week check in and say, who's the couple people I'm going to reach out to this week and I'm going to send them an article. I'm going to just reach out and see how they're doing or see if there's something I can do to help. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's a really, that can be a really powerful method. So uh, I hope that's, that's all helpful to you, Andrew, and gives you some uh, additional things you can think about. This next question is from Itai. And he asks, does asking for feedback from a range of peers and direct reports translate in a way to a lack of confidence, specifically those in positions higher than myself. Itai, thanks for the question. Yeah, probably in some organizations it does, but I think it is all about how you do it and what you do with the feedback you're getting. So there, there are some cultures and some organizations that I'm sure that going around and seeking feedback is considered to be weak in some way. You know, there's never an always or never for anything. So I'm sure there's some places where that's the case. I think probably most places, though, that's not the case if you do it right. And so what I what I mean by doing it right is, so yes, go out and seek feedback, as we've talked about on the show. And uh, this question actually came in from the webinar I did uh, a week ago, Bonnie. And uh, the 
uh, one of the things we talked about is the importance of asking for feedback often. Um, so you want to ask for feedback often, then you want to do something with it. So if you're going around and ask, and the only thing you're doing is asking for feedback, but you're not doing anything actively with the feedback that you get, then yeah, I think you run a risk of being perceived as someone who's maybe kind of going through the motions, but not really doing anything that's making you substantially better. So I think one of the things that I'd um, I'd suggest is when you go around asking for feedback is to decide what you're going to do with that feedback and to then take action on it and to demonstrate that you are utilizing what it is you've heard that will be of value to your career, to the organization, and to the people around you. And if you're looking for a good framework for that, I'd recommend listening to episode 143. We had Sheila Heen on, and she's the author of a book called Thanks for the Feedback. She also was one of the co-authors on the book Difficult Conversations, which is a bestseller and a great, great read for handling tough conversations. Um, But she walked through a framework for us of, okay, when you hear feedback, what do you do with it? And how do you process it? And what do you decide to act on? And what do you decide not to act on? And um, if you do that and make efforts to continually get better based on the feedback you're, you've been given and you're in conversation with people about that and you're demonstrating to the organization that you're improving because of that feedback, I think you probably are way better off doing that than you would be not doing it at all. And I mean, I just think about myself. If I had an employee that was going around the organization on a somewhat regular basis and asking for feedback and was on a regular basis taking one or two things from the feedback on a somewhat uh, a somewhat consistent schedule and doing something positive with that and showing results for the organization. I mean, that's the kind of person that I'd want to invest in and I'd want to give more influence to in the organization. And I mean, that's the kind of person I'd also want to be led by. When I think about who I'd want to be ma- have managing me. I'd want to be managed by someone who's going out, seeking feedback, taking advice, not necessarily doing jumping every time someone gives feedback, but when they hear something that's actionable and they can do something with to make it, make themselves better, make the organization better. I think in a lot of places that would be well-received. I think that it can take a lot of confidence to ask for feedback. One of the key things that for me would distinguish someone who seemed pretty weak or someone who seemed incredibly strong who asked for feedback is how they were the rest of the time when they weren't asking for feedback. Are they decisive? Are they direct? Not harshly direct, but just clear in their intent. One of the authors that I love reading is Deborah Tan, and she's a linguist, and she looks at the differences between how men and women communicate. And one of her books is Working 9 to 5, and, it, and this is a decades old research, but I still find much of this to be true today. Uh, the idea that women would be more likely, they would have more of a tendency to when asking their direct reports to do something to say, we need to take a look at this, we need to figure out how to handle this obstacle. And men would be more likely to say, you, Dave, you need to tackle this, you need to figure out a way to solve this. So what I would want to know before I could give you necessarily my feedback on whether or not it was wise for you to ask for feedback yourself would be, I'd have to kind of see how how confident are you in the other areas. If you are confident in the other areas of your work, not arrogant, but confident, then I say ask for feedback because that is a courageous thing to do. It can be very hard. And like Dave said, I really like Sheila Haynes' advice to say what's one thing 
that I could do differently or one thing that's holding me back from being able to achieve my goals in this area. So that would be some suggestions for you. And definitely let us know how it goes, what you start to think about in terms of asking for feedback. Do you decide to do it? Or do you first look at ways to express yourself a little bit more decisively and confidently and then bring in the feedback as you go along? And speaking of feedback, that reminds me that we have a feedback tag on the coachingforleaders.com website. So if you haven't already, uh, those of you listening who want to get into more depth on feedback or really any other topic, uh, set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com that will give you access to a whole bunch of things. But one of the things you get access to is the full podcast library over the last almost six years now. And we've put tags in for all of the topics. One of them is feedback. So you can click on any tag when you get into the library there and search all the archives for the shows. Um, And it's constantly getting better because, of course, we're always adding new episodes in. Um, But I'm also going through that catalog regularly now and adding in tags and cataloging old episodes. So I highly recommend that if you haven't uh, done that for yourself. So again, go to coachingforleaders.com, the main page you can set up your free membership right there. So our next question is from Josh. Josh wrote in and said, when I first started at my current job, I had poor Spanish skills and my team had equally poor English skills. My direct supervisor was unable to learn Spanish. uh, So we had a rule not to speak Spanish on the work floor and attempt to stop miscommunications. I found this to be causing more problems than it was solving. After a lot of difficult conversations, we eventually worked out a deal where my team or their loved ones would help me learn Spanish, and in exchange, the company would sponsor free after-work English classes. Through the past year and a half, my Spanish and their English has improved to the point where we can communicate work instructions and lunch talk banter in either language. This has built a lot of trust, respect, and productivity. Uh, The members of the department, um, oh, I'm sorry, the numbers in the department have posted have been reflective of this, and I'll be moving up within the company so I can better assist upper management with my skill set and talents. As I am getting ready to move up, a few of my current members, current crew members, will be moving up or put into newly created positions to help stop a potential void and to continue the department's success. Your podcast, as well as books such as Turn the Ship Around and The Best Place to Work, have been instrumental for me in finding new processes, ideas, and concepts. Glad to hear that. However, the problem is, though my team has improved their English to working levels, they're definitely not at the level of reading those books or listening to your podcast in English quite yet. I care deeply about my crew, and I want to give them every chance to better themselves, the organization, and me, but I can't find books and podcasts in Spanish to help them the way I have been helped. Uh, Bonnie, so two things on this question. First of all, I think this is a fabulous example of like solving a problem in an organization in a way that's so creative, and like what a dedication from a leadership standpoint to learn a different language and to find a way to make that work with both sides. Like I just, this is like maybe less question and more instruction for all of us on things we should be thinking about doing in our organization. So I just am really impressed, Josh, with what you did and that you worked through these challenges and found a creative solution to the problem. The other reason that I'm um, putting this question here is I don't have a good answer for the question. I'm actually surprised that you have not found translations on Amazon and Audible. I would have thought a lot of that was out there. And I know there are some books that certainly are translated. So um Part of this is I'm I'm wondering, Bonnie, if you know anything more, but I'm putting this also out to our audience because maybe our audience knows something that we don't. Well, one thing that I would suggest is considering having a time where you play probably not the whole podcast because I know we're talking about a lunchtime and the podcasts are around 40 minutes 
and you would need more than 40 minutes to do what I'm about to suggest, but playing portions of the podcast where you play, like the Q&A podcasts would be a good format for this because you could play the question and then press stop and then have them identify what is the question that's just been asked. And one of the things that is coming out in the research around how we learn, this is just one of many things that helps us learn, is to predict. So you might hear them have a question get asked on the Q&A episode and have them predict how they think Dave might answer, have them predict how they think I might answer. And that prediction starts to engage them a little bit more than if they just listened through in more of a passive way. So you could do this both as a language building exercise, but also as a learning exercise where they're, instead of just listening to people give advice, they're saying, well, here's what I predict. They'll probably answer that with, and that would help them share a little bit. You could have this done in English only, but another thing would be that you press pause and allow them to to translate it then into Spanish really quickly, the questions, and just begin to, because there's, of course, with language, there's two broad things that are happening. I both have to be able to receive information, have to receive that message from a sender, and then I need to be able to communicate back out. And so I would just maybe start with just receiving and then have them speak Spanish to get each other. Oh, did you get the question? Oh, this was what was being asked. That would just be one way to attempt to bridge both the continued learning of the English skills, but being able to make use of some of these resources. And of course, it wouldn't just be the Coaching for Leaders podcast, but some of the books that you've talked about, you definitely could set, you know, have it where we're going to listen to just a small piece of it, put it on pause. And, and that would be one way that you could start to begin to bridge those gaps. I feel like I should have a better answer for a leadership podcast that's in Spanish. So um, mm. I'm, I'm sure there's one out there. So if you know of one, uh, please suggest it to us. We'd love to hear about it. And um, it, for those of you who are working in organizations where you have multiple languages, I'd love any suggestions you have for Josh, we can pass along. Um, or if you know of resources and good ways to track down material in multiple languages, that'd be awesome to know. Uh, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 283. Put in a comment. We'll make sure that uh, Josh gets it. Bonnie mentioned a piece of software you've heard us talk about uh, previously on the show called OmniFocus. Bonnie and I both use it as our task management system. It's only an option if you're a Mac user or if you use primarily an iPad or an iPhone for your productivity. But if you are that person, or maybe you're using OmniFocus already, uh, one resource I'd also recommend is a site called LearnOmniFocus.com. My friend Tim Stringer uh, runs that site. It is fabulous. It's a great way to learn a very complex piece of software, complex, but also very powerful. And so uh, if you're already an OmniFocus user, or if you're a Mac person and looking for a really powerful task management system, great place to start is LearnOmniFocus.com. It's one of the very few sites that I have a paid membership for because I believe that it's just a really valuable resource for learning how to use a really powerful tool. And for me, OmniFocus is at the center of that. So check that out. It'll also be on the resources list. We sure did talk about a lot on this episode as far as resources. So we've captured everything uh, in the list. It'll be in the weekly leadership guide this week for those of you who get that on Wednesday. If you're not already getting the weekly leadership guide on Wednesdays, the best way to get access to that in your inbox is to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership that I mentioned earlier. You can do that by going to the coachingforleaders.com website. We're right on the front page there. You'll 
see a place to do that. You also, when you begin your free membership right at the start, you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And if you will give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, each lesson provides the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. It will help you to really figure out what's the next step in order to execute on the things we talk about on this show really consistently. So go to coachingforleaders.com. If you haven't already done that, set that up and you'll get access to that immediately along with the weekly leadership guides each week. And speaking of resources, a few related episodes to today's conversation. Episode number 143, we had Sheila Heen on. We mentioned her earlier. On that episode, we talked about how to get way better at accepting feedback. If you've ever kind of gone through that situation where you get feedback or maybe you ask for feedback regularly, but you're not really sure how to process the feedback or what to do or what to act on or what things to set aside, we went through a six-step process in that episode of exactly how to process that, what to do with it. So check that out. Episode 143 is a great starting point for how to accept feedback. Episode 223, we also touched on in this conversation, was with Simon Sinek. It is on Start With Why, uh, same title as uh, Sinek's very popular book, a really important read for leaders, and particularly if, like Dustin, you're thinking about setting a vision for your organization and thinking about how to start that framework or thinking about mission, it's a great place to start, episode 223. And finally, episode 246, we had on Zvi Band. Zvi is the CEO of Contactually, and we mentioned Contactually earlier. When he was on the show, he was talking about the best way to conduct one-on-ones. They're doing some really innovative things at Contactually around having one-on-one conversations between managers and employees and also doing organizational culture surveys, uh, some neat things that he talked about in that episode. It's a great framework for one-on-ones. And I mentioned it since we talked about Contactually uh, is also a really powerful tool if you're looking for a good a tool to help you to manage your professional network and to figure out when's the right time to reach out to people. Contactually automates a lot of that for you and it's really powerful. So I encourage you to check that out if that's of interest. Again, that was episode 246. And so next week, we have returning to the show Michael Bungay Stanier, he is the best-selling author of the book, The Coaching Habit. It's my favorite book on coaching for leaders, and he's returning to the show to teach us how to stop rescuing people from their problems. Last year, when Michael was on the show, it was the number one downloaded show of 2016. I've already recorded the conversation with him that's airing next week. I think you're going to find it to be really powerful, especially if you find that you're stepping in a lot to rescue people in your organization. It's a must listen. So check that out coming next week. Thank you so much this week to Marcela Raposo in Brazil for the very kind review you left on iTunes. Marcela, thank you so much. Marcela said, thanks for doing the show and providing this as a resource. Marcella, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to all of you who've left reviews for the show in the last few months or any time in the past. I'm so grateful for them. I read every single one and it helps more people to find the show. Thank you for that. If you'd like to leave a review as well, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes is where to go. See you next week for the conversation with Michael Bungay-Stanier. Take care and have a great week.